Welcome, welcome. This is your genial host, Anthony J. Ashutino. Welcome to another episode of After School History. I do want to apologize to my regular listeners. Um, I know I had said that after school had ended, I would be uh, charging on with a bunch of things. Unfortunately, I ran into a bout of illness and was unable to go on because I am of the belief that if you can't do something right, um, don't do it. And I wanted to wait until I had the ability to really give you guys um, what you what you desire, what you need, and not some, uh, you know, half-baked attempt at stuff. So now, however, uh, I am back. I am back into good health, good spirits, which I've always been in. And uh, boy, lots to talk about with this episode. Um, and unfortunately, trying to keep it down to a reasonable amount of time. Um, I'm sure many of you have been following what's going on politically in the United States, and one of the things I really wanted to talk about was the Mueller testimony. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's quite funny. Uh, one of my BFFs sent me over um, a poll, which was from, you know, our beloved co-nationalists over at uh, Fox News, and uh, their report was that over 50% of the people polled said that they would... Uh, the whatever came out in the Mueller testimony would have no um, n- no bearing upon how they felt about President Trump, about how they felt about impeachment. Um, and you know what? That's that's refreshingly honest because let's be honest about things. Um, a lot of what Mueller came out to say, uh, you know, really didn't change most people's opinions. That's my belief. Uh, Prove me wrong if you will, but you know, as I've said many times before, uh, the greatest statement that Trump made in the entire campaign was that his people were so dedicated to him that he could shoot someone on it was a Fifth Avenue, um, Fifth Avenue Broadway, whatever you know, wherever Times Square, and it, they would still vote for him. And I, I think that that's absolutely accurate. I do honestly believe, and I've talked to many. Trump supporters, they don't care. They don't care that there has been evidence of obstruction of justice, of suborning perjury, uh, both of which would be enough to get any normal person you know, thrown behind bars for many years. They don't care. They really don't care that that's been put out there. Uh, they're going to come out in 2020 and vote for him. Um, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the voting populace of the United States is going to come out in 2020, and they're going to go out and vote for Trump. Now, I don't know what type of excuses they're going to come up with uh, to vote for him. Perhaps it'll be, you know, along the lines of of what a lot of um, people used to vote against Hillary, you know, in, in 2016. Well, I don't trust her. You know, how can you believe what she says? You know, we need a change. She's a Clinton uh, you know, I mean, obviously that won't be the case in 2020, but, you know, you could see people coming out and making arguments against like a Joe Biden. Oh, you know, he was part of this whole you know, Obama regime, you know, and, and he's flip-flopped on issues, which admittedly he has, which, again, you know, to, to quote the late, great Sir Winston Churchill, those who don't change their mind don't change anything. You know, changing your mind about things is perfectly okay, as long as you are saying, listen, I did believe this and then I don't. Look, as a historian, and uh, I, I want to say I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but if I, if I have, I'm mentioning it again for those of you who are new to this, and when you go back and listen to my old podcast, which I highly recommend, 
you will get this. Um, years ago, many, many years ago, uh, when I had talked about the Armenian genocide, and, uh, you know, shamefully, this will probably end up getting me disinvited back to Turkey, which um, is is one of my favorite. When I went to see Turkey, went, I went to Istanbul, I drove down to Gallipoli and Troy. I mean, it was one of the great vacations of my life, one of the great adventures, you know, driving around, going down, seeing these places, seeing this antiquity, and being someone who is a historian, seeing Troy, seeing Gallipoli, uh, you know, the Sphinx, the beaches where, you know, the Anzacs waded ashore, you know, over 100 years ago. And at the time, it was when I went, it was about 100 years since it had happened. Uh, phenomenal. And hopefully... I don't get disinvited, uh, you know, no one forwards this over to the prime minister, the president, and the judiciary and whatnot. But many years ago, I had been asked by a student about whether or not the, you know, um, the deaths of, of many Armenians under the Ottomans in World War One was a genocide, and I said, no. I said, absolutely not. I said, you know, um, this was a case of, it's wartime. Things happened during war. The Ottomans were not on the winning side. They didn't have the ability to safeguard these people. And uh, unfortunately, many hundreds of thousands of them died. Now, years later, after some more evidence came through, uh, I was made uh, privy to the fact that uh, the Ottoman powers that be basically were like, listen, um, we want you to march the Armenian Christians across the desert intentionally. Um, the goal is that as many of them that can die will die. Uh, you know, we don't really want to put that into writing, but we're going to anyway, for the most part, we're going to put down. And so at that point, I had to change my view. I was like, no, this is this was no longer just a kind of Oh, goodness, dearie me, we didn't mean for these, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of Armenians to die. Now it became, okay, listen, when I said before that this was not an attempt to eradicate this population, I was wrong. I changed my mind, and I changed my mind for a good reason. And I do continue to change my mind. I change my mind when new evidence comes forward. And I say, okay, well, listen, there's nothing wrong with saying I was wrong at this point, Okay. Uh, you know, I was wrong, now new evidence has come forward, and now I'm okay with it. That's kind of the difference, though, that I find right now between what's going on with the pro-Trump crowd and with everyone else. Um, they're unwilling to say anything uh, negative at all about Trump. Um, you know, there is kind of this this cognitive dissonance this ability to kind of look at what Trump has done and say everything's good. Uh, it doesn't matter if any evidence is going against them. Um, you know, I, I know the big thing right now that uh, that many people, many Trump supporters have brought up to me, the economy. Oh, the economy, greatest economy in the history of the world, unemployment numbers, ridiculously low. And it's funny because when I, you know, talked about the Obama administration, years ago this was, and I mentioned how unemployment numbers were falling, the response was, well, yeah, they're falling because people are stopping looking for jobs. Now, however, they're rising because people are being employed. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, they continue to stay low because people are being employed. The employment numbers are rising. Unemployment is falling. And 
I'm like, well, how can you say one with, uh, you know, that that was the case with Obama? I mean, one could make an argument that as Obama dealt with the, you know, uh, absolutely horrific economy he was handed, you know, he managed to turn it around. No, he didn't. He was a complete failure. Now Trump has turned it around. Um, but again, when you look at statistics, you know, and, and you look at the way that things are going, um, there are a lot of signs that all is not well. As I've said many times, uh, if you gave me a loan of a million dollars, I could live like a boss for a while. But eventually, it comes time to pay the piper his due. And when you have to pay the piper his due, that's when you see where you are uh, financially. Um, I'm not saying that the Dow is not at you know levels it hasn't been. But I'm really questioning about things like, for example, with farmers right now, uh, you know, the, the, the farming is suffering terribly, um, especially independent farmers. They are suffering terribly. Uh, they're getting whacked about by these trade wars that the president has instigated with China. Um, you know, now there's talk about instigating, um, you know, wine tariffs on France. Um, I thought it was really hilarious how he claimed that, you know, the American wine is always better. Not that I've ever had it. Well, okay, then you're in really no position to say that it's better. Well, it just looks better. Uh, Again, uh, listen, (laughs) I've seen wine from many different parts of the world. I've seen wine from France, from California, from Washington, from New Jersey, from Italy, from different parts of Italy. Uh, I've seen wine from all over the world, um, and you can't look at a wine and say, oh, well, this is an American wine, and this is an Argentinian wine, this is a Chilean wine. You can't do it. Um, Truth be told, and, and again, this is kind of me going a little off here, but you really can't tell someone, all of this malarkey about people being able to say, ah, this is obviously a a 1982 Bordeaux. No. Um, most so-called wine connoisseurs can't really tell the difference between uh, wines. Yes, you can tell the difference between, for the most part, a very cheap wine and a, a good wine. But, you know, all of this, you know, stuff about, no, 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 we can tell the difference between um, a 1984 Chateau de Blas and, uh, you know, a 1995, uh, you know, uh, Mendoza region Malbec. You can't, okay? You might be able to tell the difference between, uh, you know, uh, a Malbec and a Cabernet or a Merlot. Yeah, no, I'm not arguing that point at all. But Trump with this kind of, you know, breathtaking arrogance, you know, no, we're going to put the wine on there. I mean, what are you going to do? So you're going to put tariffs on French wines. What happens if they come back and put tariffs and say, okay, fine, we're going to put tariffs on American wine? Um, you know, not that I think the French are drinking a lot of it, but, you know, this is just, for, for those of you out there listening, um, and I know there are a few of you out there that are very kind of free trade, you know, and free market, um, you know, this is kind of ridiculous. I mean, why are you putting tariffs on things? The whole point is that the market should be able to make the determination, right? If people want to continue buying French wines, they'll continue buying them. And you put a tariff on it, it doesn't mean people are necessarily going to buy American wines. What if they decide, okay, well, you know what, then I'm not going to buy French, but I'm not going to buy American. I'm just going to go buy uh, 
Argentinian wines. I'm going to go buy Chilean wines. I'm going to go buy Italian wines. You know, this is this is kind of silly. And it really gets back to the basics that this is a president right now that we have in charge um, who has no idea about how economics really functions um, in a practical sense and, uh, you know, feels that he can bully people into things. And, you know, I understand right now he's got a little bit of a, of a leg up because the U.S. economy is kind of purring along. But I really don't feel that that's going to continue. I do feel that it is kind of a, a bit of a facade. Um, and furthermore, um, I really question what's going to happen economically in 2020 when the election comes into place. Um, and that brings me to the final point that I want to bring up here, um, which is something that I had a very long discussion with uh, you know, my best friends in the world the other night. Um, for Hodge, this is aimed at you. Uh, we spoke at length uh, about what's going to happen in 2020. And by what's going to happen, I mean what's going to happen if President Trump loses the election? Um, is he going to accept the loss? Um, if he wins the election and there are claims of voter fraud, which there were in 2016, in which I truthfully say that I think that in the future you're going to find out, you're going to hear a lot of stuff about how, you know, there were, uh, there was fraud committed in that election. I do honestly feel, and I mean, it's, it's now in the past, nothing's going to be done about it. Um, it what should be done about it is that we should be enacting laws that prevent voter fraud in the Ford by outside entities. I do feel that people like Russia were instrumental in uh, fixing votes in key states. Um, you know, and now it's come out that Russia did attempt to interfere in all 50 states. Um, we should be saying, my God, I don't care what side you're on, we don't want another foreign power interfering with our elections. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, socialist, whatever you are, he says, no, we don't want that. Unfortunately, Mitch McConnell and the Senate has decided, no, we're not interested in protecting American elections, which makes you question why. Why aren't you interested in protecting the elections? Why are you okay with foreign powers interfering? And that leads you down the road of, well, because they're interfering on your behalf. If they were interfering on the behalf of the Democrats you damn well know that they would be, you know, completely looking to lock up every bit of leeway there. But my point is, my, the, the point I'm trying to get to is, what's going to happen with this president? This president that refuses to accept defeat, which is not an ignoble thing. I mean, nobody likes accepting defeat. But what's going to happen in 2020 if he loses the election and says, listen, I'm not interested in stepping down. I believe that the election was fraudulent. I think that the uh, the votes, uh, you know, were that the Democrats cheated, and uh, I'm saying that no, I'm in charge. It's going to bring us into a situation we haven't been in since John Adams lost the presidential election to Thomas Jefferson in the very early early years of the 19th century. In that, well, you lost. Uh, are you going to step down? Now, Adams said, listen, the people have spoken. I've been defeated. Thomas Jefferson, not crazy about you, but you're in charge now. Do well. Abraham Lincoln, in 18, going into 1864, the election, forced his cabinet to sign off that 
whatever happened in 1864, which until the capture of Atlanta uh, and then the drive to Savannah, uh, it was questionable whether or not he would win. Uh, There was a lot of belief that McClellan uh, was going to win as a peace candidate because it was not, you know, the war seemed to just be dragging on. Lincoln forced his cabinet. He said, listen, I don't care what happens if I lose, you need to promise me that you will accept our loss, and then we will say to whoever wins, hey, good luck. I hope that you're able to end this war satisfactorily to the people. And that was at a time when a massive civil war was going on. Already hundreds of thousands of people had been killed. Uh, you'd had an emancipa- Emancipation Proclamation gone. Um, that was Lincoln. We're now facing a situation where, uh, if you believe Michael Cohen, Trump will never actually agree uh, that he had been beaten. And he's already talked about a third and fourth term. And given the fact that the Democrats in Congress have made it very clear that the minute he's out of office, they're going to start prosecution against him uh, for the myriad of crimes that he's committed, one has to ask, what's he going to do? And this is the real problem. Trump is not a modern-day Hitler. He's very far from it. What Trump is, is Trump is a manifestation of the way that certain authoritarian segments within our society have desired to undermine the democratic norms that have governed this country for a few hundred years. Liberal democracy is a fairly new thing. In the United States, yes, we've had it now for 200 years, even more than that. But the reality is that if you look at the rest of the world, where populism, these populist candidates are rising, they have not had it. A reminder that even places like Germany and and Austria, the Ottoman Empire, Russia, as you know, recently as a hundred years ago, they were totalitarian dictatorships. Yes, I know. Before anyone brings it up to me in a comment, you know, Germany, the Kaiser Wilhelm II was you know fairly neutered during the war. But the reality was, who was he neutered in favor? He was neutered in favor of Hindenburg and Ludendorff. It was a military dictatorship. Yes, it wasn't one guy calling the shots; it was two. But the Reichstag was completely neutered during that. And Tsar Nicholas II was, you know, the the totalitarian ruler of Russia. Japan had, for the most part, a, you know, fairly totalitarian, uh, quasi-military dictatorship between uh, the military and the emperor. So these ideas that, no, we've got, you know, liberalism, Western-style liberal democracy, If the United States falls on that level, which is looking increasingly like it's a chance, I won't say it's going to happen. Uh, I'm not a good predictor of the future. If I was, I'd be playing the Powerball and then stopping my, you know, podcast because I'd be a multimillionaire. I can't predict the future. But what I can say is that a lot of this is kind of angling towards um, a, a absolute scrapping of U.S. norms, the norms upon which our government functions, where a president does not call out on the government to investigate his political opponents, that's authoritarian speak, where the president doesn't simply lie, and then it's like, no, you you lied about what's going on in this particular district, 
you know, they're not the worst district in the country. And then people say, no, they are the worst district. Well, no, they're not. Well, the president said they are, therefore they are. This is what you're dealing with. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's very kind of, uh, I mean, Orwell did identify it the best. Uh, for those of you who haven't read 1984, go read it. Really, go read it. Go now. Go out now. Buy the book. Read it. And tell them that Ash sent you. They won't know what the devil you're talking about. But, you know, that's, that's it. And if Western liberal democracy falls in the United States, I really have a fear that it will turn into a domino effect. I do fear that it will fall in other countries and you will be faced with, you know, a complete sliding back into, uh, you know, an era where you had totalitarian governments only now with more of an ability. You know, the, the, the Tsars of Russia, the Kaisers of Prussia, the kings of France, they never had the types of ability to monitor people that the government does now. You know, CCTV, the ability to kind of monitor us on the streets and, and to track our every moves and to check out what we're saying online, uh, you know, what sites we're visiting. You know, now you have that ability. So it's becoming even more worrisome if you start losing, you know, this kind of, of liberal democracy. In any case, um, that's my spiel of the week. I will definitely try and be on uh, later this week. I have a couple more things I want to address, but I don't want to make this one too long. And I see I've already run over 20 minutes. So again, uh, any comments that you have, any things you want to say, please do comment um, You know, on uh, the, the Anchor app. Um, I'm hopefully on Spotify at this point as well. And then we're trying to get things, like I said, I'm, I've been in touch with Apple trying to get things there. But, you know, absolutely do do hit me back on Anchor if you have any comments, complaints, questions, things you want to throw at me and let me know what's going on. Uh, until then, I remain your humble servant and I hope that you all have a wonderful rest of your day. I will be in touch with you soon. Bye bye.